Welcome to a dying podcast. My name is Nils. And as some of you may have noticed, last week I did not release an episode because life happened as it sometimes does. I was up until the very last minute, I was planning to release something. I even had an interview book that got canceled last minute. And then I decided that, hey, you know what? These are only made up deadlines that I myself have set. So I have the power to actually decide to also not release something every week. But it's the first time in 42 episodes, I think, that I haven't been releasing something every week. So my inner voice was, my inner tyrant, maybe I shouldn't even say, was kind of um, harsh on me, you know, as if I had failed by not releasing a podcast episode, you know based on a deadline that I myself made up and no one else um, has forced me to do. So I'm actually kind of happy that I did not release an episode last week. But enough about that. In today's episode, it will be just me. And um, for the sake of being creative, exploring new things and new formats, I'm going to do something completely different today. So this idea actually came from my travels and from my wife. I I read a lot of books, not as many as I want to, but still a few. And these days I tend to read them on my Kindle, Amazon Kindle. I'm not sponsored by Amazon Kindle, but I love the product. It's, um, It's just a really nice way to read books and keep books and carry thousands of books with you in your pocket. So I use my Kindle whenever I have time and then I read books that uh, tends to be the books that I'm, I have been recommended by people around me. And Kindle has this um, feature that you can highlight stuff in the books you read uh, to sort of keep and save for later or maybe share with people you, if you want to do that. And, uh, and you can look, you can scroll through all of your previous highlights and I have like 600 or so of them. So I thought I would go back and just look at what I have highlighted from different books as sort of a way to... I guess, summarize and review books, and maybe it will spark some ideas. So it's just a different way to to go stream of consciousness and look at it as my book recommendations condensed, uh, perhaps slightly confusing as I'll just take them highlight by highlight. Maybe not all the highlights from every book, but I'll I'll flip through them um, to see what the takeouts are. And as always, the focus here and what I tend to highlight is is insights, learnings, lessons to help you figure out your own life or where society as a whole is headed and sort of the road ahead, um, which is always what I'm trying to do and what humanity is always doing. So uh, here it goes. Um, The first book that uh, I have here on my Kindle with highlights from is Stealing Fire, a book that I mentioned quite a few times, I think, on this podcast. Uh, It's by uh, Stephen Kotler, and uh, the full title is Stealing Fire, How Silicon Valley, the Navy Seals, and Maverick Scientists are Revolutionizing the Way We Live and Work. So before I go into a few of the highlights from this book, this book is about flow states. Now, it's the kind of state where, you know, everything just works, where the human brain is in flow. And this can happen to individuals, but also to teams. And the entire book is dedicated to how this thing works and what the values are and how you can get yourself or your team into flow states. Because in that space, that's where sort of magic happens. Uh, You can find it. uh, I, I for one, find it in skiing. I can also find it through meditation. Uh, You can find it through entheogens. You'll find it at Burning Man. There's even a full chapter in this book about Burning Man and how the design behind Burning Man creates awe 
you know, this wow sensation in the human brain. And that's when new neurological connections can be made. That's why those events can be such life-changing experiences because it allows us to form new patterns in our minds. And from that, we come to new insights and we change our lives. It's an amazing book, really worth a read. And I'll go through a few of my highlights to see if that can summarize even more and maybe remind me of, of why I like the book so much. The first highlight is uh, a short one. I think I got better after a while, <laughs> realizing that I should probably highlight full sentences and, and, and you know, full phases or parts of the book. But my first highlight only says, enjoy a 400% spike in dopamine. I actually happen to know what this refers to, luckily enough. So this is about social media and how it's addictive. Something that I, for one, have known uh, because I've been addicted to social media myself. And, and this highlight refers to the fact that whenever we get a new friend request on social media, you know, we have a notification saying, hey, someone added you on this and that social media platform. What happens in our brain is that we get a 400% increase in dopamine. So where we are super excited and the brain just loves dopamine. It's one of these things, you know, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, that, that makes us feel happy and, you know, excited about stuff. Um, so we get super excited when this happens in social media. And this is why social media becomes addictive. So, you know, if this happens once, fine. But most social media platforms today make money from us spending as much time as humanly possible on those platforms, because that means more marketing dollars, easier to sell ads to us. And uh, basically Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all of these, they're competing for our time, right? So they want us to keep using the, their, their services as much as possible. Time is literally money uh, in this case. So that's why they're basically designed as slot machines to give us these fixes of primarily dopamine over and over and over to keep us excited. And when they see our engagement going down, the algorithms are designed to give us another hit of dopamine. So I know that's what this refers to. All right, moving on. Another short one. Um, I promise you, I, I get better after a while, but uh, this just says, describe these conditions as VUCA, V-U-C-A, which stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. This I also happens to know what it refers to. It's the description that the American military came up with to best describe the world we currently live in. It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex and ambiguous, which means we can't trust our old maps or patterns or ways of doing things. And we also need to decentralize and redistribute decision-making, for instance, in an organization such as the military in order to um, basically adapt to these new circumstances. It basically says everything is confusing and everything is changing all the time and getting increasingly confusing. That's why the world today can be such a tricky place to deal with. And that's why also we have a lot of these conflicts and confusions in the world today. We don't know what to trust. We don't know what's happening. And as soon as we figure something out, everything's changed and it's changing faster and faster and faster, which to me means that what we need to do is get down to basics, go deep into ourselves, find the foundations that we can cling to that won't change as fast, basically going deeper into our own humanity uh, once again. Which is why you see the rise of the transformation economy, which is why you see the rise in, in meditation, in ayahuasca journeys, in these kind of, you know, basic human traits that we've sort of lost along the way as our uh, capitalistic industrial society has, has, you know, taken over. And now we're in this digital society where things are moving fast and changing fast. 
I'm even talking fast about it. Um, so the only way to actually navigate this life is to not look as much on the short-term current trends, but basically what's the underlying foundation that we can be strong in? What's Where is the core of me and the core of humanity and the core of this crazy ride that we're on? And stick to that uh, and, and get better at tuning into that and both as individuals and as teams. All right, so that, that's interesting. And uh, let's see. Okay, I'm jumping here. They call the experience group flow. It's a peak state, explains psychologist Keith Sawyer in his book Group Genius. A group performing at its top level of ability. In, situation, in situations of rapid change, it's more important than ever for a group to be able to merge action and awareness and to adjust immediately by improvising. So this, once again, just is about flow states and the importance of flow states in this world that we're currently in. The peak state where we're sort of almost unconsciously just working at our most optimal level as a group or as individuals. And it's also really nice to be in these flow states. That's why people search for them and look for them and try to end up in them all the time. And here's a line that I highlighted that basically describes what flow state is or what it is like. Um, it's described as selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, and richness, or STER, S-T-E-R for short. So basically, when I'm skiing, I think that's a clear example that I've had for most of my life. My sense of self is, is not really there. My focus is not on my ego or, you know, anything like that. I'm in the moment. There's really no uh, future or past, so it's timeless. So I'm not focused on who Nils is. I can't really sense that there's a future and a past. I'm in the moment. Uh, it's effortless when I'm in that flow state skiing down a deep powder hill. It just comes to me. I, that's the best way to describe it. You really find flow. You just surf down. You know how to do it without even thinking. And rich. It's a really cool and nice experience. That's why, you know, you'll have skiers screaming, yeehaw, <laughs> uh, riding down the hills. But this you can end up in uh, through meditation, entheogens, you know, hard physical activity, climbing a mountain. All of these things can put you in flow state. And once again, that's where sort of the magic happens. That's where we create new things. That's where we can tap into all the levels of our consciousness and, and find new ideas and new patterns and make new connections in our brain. So that's why it's, it's, it's really nice to reach. But it also feels great to be in flow state. Uh, next highlight. Come Monday morning, we may still clamber back into the monkey suits of our everyday roles. Parent, spouse, employee, boss, neighbor. But by then, we know they're just costumes with zippers. Psychologist Robert Keegan, uh, chair of adult development at Harvard, has a term for unzipping those costumes. He calls it the subject-object shift and argues that it's the single most important move we can make to accelerate personal growth. This is interesting. And I'll, I'll just continue with the next highlight. It's not in the same phrase, but anyway, it, it looks as if it fits here. This means that the self is more than about movement through different forms of consciousness than about defending and identifying with any one form. So talking about the monkey suits here, right? The roles we take in our lives, identity, which I believe the very first episode of this podcast was about the trap of getting caught in an identity. Whether you've chosen it yourself or the world around you has chosen it for you, which is more often the case. 
that actually, you know, in flow state, you cannot be in one of those boxes, in one of those stuck identities that we fill our lives with, with and think are important and think hold value, which they actually don't. So the self is more about moving through different forms of consciousness than about defending and, and identifying with any format, it says in the book. I think that speaks a great deal to how consciousness works. Because since consciousness is... Uh, taking on many forms on different levels, that means no no form of it is actually true except for the deepest, only true form of it, which is nothingness or the source or God or whatever you uh, wish to call it. But from a rational point of view, it's it's just nothingness, right? Because if you, if you go through just a rational way of looking at it, realizing that, well, we learned in school that everything is energy, right? Everything is made out of energy. And energy takes on the form of tiny particles spinning around each other, whether it's in the atomic nucleus or in outer space. That's what's creating energy. Uh, so everything is energy. And we also learned in school that energy cannot be destroyed. It can only change form. Like kinetic energy is one form, and then it goes to different forms. That means since I'm only made of energy, I can never be destroyed. I can only change form. So the energy that is me is you know, in that way, eternal. It can just change form. When I die, it takes on a different form. And at the core of everything, there's energy. And these particles that we speak of uh, in, the, in the atomic nucleus, for instance, they're only energy too, right? So energy doesn't really have a shape. Uh, it's, it just is. It is everything. And uh, we know that everything is just one gigantic blob of energy, or we could call it love, because in one way it's the same thing, like everything is love, everything is energy. And if everything is that, then everything is one. Everything is just one gigantic blob of energy. And if everything is one, that means there's nothing else but that one. It has no boundaries. There's nothing it, it can be related to. There's no contrast between that one thing that is everything and something else, because there is no something else. And when we don't have that distinction when we don't have a layer a boundary between something and something else you know light and darkness life and death something and nothing that means everything is everything but also nothing at the same time and that's why you can refer to the deepest level of consciousness as nothingness or everything it's the same thing all right that was a rant about that and let's move on Okay, in a series of experiments, subjects who tasted even a brief moment of timelessness felt they had more time available, were less impatient, more willing to volunteer to help others, more strongly preferred experiences over material products, and experienced a greater boost in life satisfaction. Yay! As you can see, and as you most likely know, listening to this podcast, this flow state that they're referring to is a nice place to be in. You don't see as many problems. Things are kind of nice. You feel more connected to other people, so you want to help them out. I think this is interesting. More strongly preferred experiences over material products. This ties into a recent study. I don't think it's mentioned in the book, but a recent study, I think it's uh, just a few years old, that shows that 74% of Americans, 74% now prefer spending money on experiences rather than products. So people are, in a way, looking for this kind of flow state. That's the transformation economy. It's what it's all about. This is happening all over the world right now. And we're pretty cool to be in the generation that's doing this. 
But we also have to be the ones to do this because this is the only way we can actually face our global challenges and overcome our problems, whether it's climate change or automation, losing our jobs or just, uh, you know, the psychological issues of the world. The fact that we have more mental health issues than ever before. Um, And that ties into the next highlight here that says what looks inevitable in hindsight is often invisible with foresight. So that's where we are right now. Like we know the world is waking up. We know flow states will be something we all consume and look for actively in the future. It's going to be part of our school system. It's going to be part of the workplace. It's already happening. But down the line, this is going to be it. This is going to be the thing that people you know, get training in finding how do you get into flow state? That's going to be one of the top skills a human being can have beyond how do you deal with a relationship to yourself? How do you deal with a relationship to others? And how do you deal with a relationship to change? Well, actually flow state can help with a lot of these. (laughs) And next highlight, we're drowning in information, but starving for motivation. We're drowning in information, but starving for motivation. I think this also ties in nicely to the intersection in history where we are right now. There's more information than ever before. Um, you know, the entire mountain of human information recorded, you know, as data or on, on rune stones or, you know, uh, in the ancient Egypt, all of that recorded information. 90% of it was created in the past two years and it doubles every 18 months. And um, there's no lack of information, but as it says here, we're starving for motivation. I think there's a clear shift here as well. If you look at the transformation economy and the rise of that, where we come from a time where the um, unicorn companies, these billion dollar companies that have been built have primarily been tech companies in recent, in the past 20 years, uh, primarily different types of online services. And what have they done? Well, they've connected us to information and to each other, people connecting to information and to other people. So Google, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But all of them have actually lacked purpose. Like it's like the tagline for all of these services have been connecting people, but not really explaining why. It's just like, let's do it. It's going to be great. It means we can share information. We can find people. We can build new things and we can make money by advertising to all of these people because we know their data. But few of these people or companies actually have a clear purpose. And I think this ties into that. I think the next generation, I'm sure actually that the next generation of billion dollar companies, unicorn companies will be companies that moves beyond simply connecting people to information and each other, but adding a layer of purpose on top of that. Like, why are we doing that? I think it ties in. It's going to tie in to two things. It's about, well, it's, it's, ties into one thing. It's going to tie into transformation economy, but in two ways. Either the purpose will be for you as an individual to work on yourself or for you as an individual to work on uh, the world around you, which in essence is working on yourself. But that's the kind of purpose we're looking for. Like, I want to feel that I'm growing and I want to feel I'm doing something good for the world. So that's the next generation of multi-billion dollar companies. So any entrepreneur out there, Go ahead and start something in the transformation economy and try to make this happen um, because that's great because you can make a lot of money doing it. But it's even better because that's what we need now for the world to change. Uh, and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, and I'll get back to you on that once I've come a little further, I promise. But if you're curious and a few of you are, um, I know, uh, feel free to reach out if you want to help me build this thing that I'm building because I'm going to need a lot of people. And um, some people have already started speaking to me. And thank you for that. I'm happy to involve all of you who are feeling curious in this thing that I'm doing. 
but even more excited perhaps to see what you can come up with in this in this field. All right, um, let's see. And here's a quote from the book that I'm not sure where the quote is from, but it says, the individuals and organizations who went the furthest and the fastest were always the ones tapping into passion and finding flow. So once again, the individuals and organizations who went the furthest, the fastest, were always the ones tapping into passion and finding flow. I think it's the same thing again here, purpose, like providing flow for individuals and teams and giving them a purpose, to a drive to actually work towards something. Um, all right, here's another highlight. As of late 2016, so three years ago, as of late 2016, with the initial phases of the research completed, the study came to two overarching conclusions. First, creativity is essential for solving complex problems, the kinds we often face in a fast-paced world. Second, we have very little success training people to be more creative. And there's a pretty simple explanation for this failure. We're trying to train a skill, but what we really need to be training is a state of mind. That's cool. So this basically, once again, ties into flow states and the fact that we need human creativity and human curiosity to solve these challenges that keep arising uh, in our society that we could never have foreseen. And we don't, there's no blueprint for how to fix things, right? There's no blueprint for what type of innovations are needed to solve climate change or automation or mental health issues. And we can't train creativity because it's not a skill, right? It's a state of mind. So it's more about finding ways for us to be get into that state of mind and let our magical brains do the magical work that we rationally can't even explain how it works. It just works. I feel I'm fairly fired up by this uh, uh, thing. All right, I'll keep going for a little bit longer and see how much more of this book we can cover today. All right, here we go. So this is a referral to another study about how the brain works and how the brain will perform and become as creative as possible. So it says, rather than pulling a caffeinated all-nighter to force a eureka insight or devoting decades to becoming a monk, we now know that even a few days training in mindfulness can up the odds of a breakthrough considerably. Once again, that's, you know, the power of, in this case, mindfulness, tuning into your own flow which you can do in many different ways, will not only make you feel good, because it does. I did yoga earlier today, and, and that is definitely something that helps you get into flow state. But it also increases your creative power. So it's like the days of nine to five work where you're supposed to sit in an office and have FaceTime and, and count the minutes you're working or the hours you're working are over because that's not how the human brain works. We're, we're not, you know, a linear uh, flow, it goes up and it goes down. And actually a lot of the mindfulness, the resting that we do will give rise to these breakthroughs idea. It's not about pulling all lighters as it says here. And we're already seeing the workplace being redesigned, but a lot of us are still stuck in this sort of old narrative, an old regime where you're supposed to show up at an office at a certain hour and then go home at a certain hour and clock your hours to show your management or whoever that you put in the work. That's not the same thing as putting in value. I can sit there for eight hours and put in the work in terms of hours and it won't bring any value to the company or very little value. But on the other hand, I can work with mindfulness for five days straight and then do five minutes focused work for, uh, for my workplace or my company and come up with a breakthrough idea that will change everything and bring immense value 
to the company. And I really feel we need to start honoring that in more ways in society. I think this knowledge is something that that should change our schools and our workplaces and, and um, our institutions in society to understand that we are human brains. We're not robots and we need to work with our brains and the natural flow of the human mind and the human system that's how we're actually going to accelerate and improve and increase the rate of innovation that we have in society today. It's not about more hours. It's about smarter work that's working in tune with our minds and our bodies. All right. Next highlight. It says, and it doesn't seem to matter which technique we deploy, mindfulness training, technological stimulation, or pharmacological priming, the end results are substantial. Consider the gains, a 200% boost in creativity, a 490% boost in learning, and a 500% boost in productivity. So I don't remember exactly what studies this refers to, but I think it summarizes it nicely. And your gut feeling may tell you, yeah, this makes sense, but here are also hard, hard facts. Like when you start working, uh, with any of these techniques to reach flow states, on average, you'll get a 200% boost in creativity, almost 500% in learning and 500% in productivity. Yeah, that's that's improvement, all right. And uh, let's see, yeah, there's a lot of stuff and um, projects being done in this case. I know that the authors of this book have were then trying to set up a flow state lab, uh, which I think they've succeeded in setting up that you can actually visit to go into flow states using different techniques. And one of the techniques they're using is virtual reality, which is something I've been working with for a few years now. Uh, they're calling it the God helmet, <laughs> where you can basically use uh, virtual reality headsets to create uh, this type of effect to put you into flow states. But I didn't take much more uh, notes uh, than this. So you're going to have to read the book to get the, the details about it. All right. I'm going to just flip through uh, a bit forward here and see if... Yeah, this is interesting. Western scientists have an underlying assumption that normal is absolutely as good as it gets and that the exceptional is only for saints. That is something that cannot be cultivated. Obviously, the authors here are pointing out the fact that these scientists are wrong that you can actually reach these exceptional states of flow with your mind. And, and that's where real progress happens. Okay, so, and here's a referral to Robert Keegan and his uh, studies. He discovered that while some adults remained frozen in time, a select few achieved meaningful growth. Right around middle age, for example, Keegan noticed that some people moved beyond generally well-adjusted adulthood, or what he called self-authoring, into a different stage entirely called self-transforming, defined by heightened empathy and expanded capacity to hold differing and even conflicting perspectives and a general flexibility in how you think of yourself. Self-transforming is the developmental stage we tend to associate with wisdom and Roger Martin's opposable mind. So once again, this just shows the, the potential of the human mind and also how far we can develop as individuals in our uh, lifetime. We can reach really, really far. Uh, which obviously speaks to me because that's the journey I'm on. I want to reach as far as humanly possible before I move into the next dimension <laughs> of this existence. Uh, that's partly why I'm doing this podcast and, and reading books like this. All right. Uh, okay. And here's another, it's just like, it's proving the point here. 
2012 study published in Cognitive Processing took it further. When examining the relationship between peak experiences and performance in Olympic athletes and corporate managers, researchers found that the highest performers didn't just have more frequent peak experiences, they also made, and then it stops, but it continues. The more peak experiences a person had, the closer they came to self-actualization, his term for the upper stages of adult development. Oh yeah, yeah, and then, sorry, I'm jumping here because I took the highlight twice or three times, I've been really confusing here. Yeah, uh, they were not only top of the developmental pyramid, uh, they were not only more ethical and empathetic, they performed better in the workplace as well. So it's like, it's a nice thing to reach these higher levels of consciousness through working with flow states. It's a nice little way to get there. Like if you're interested in the stuff I'm interested in, like how can I go as deep as possible into my own being, understand all the layers of consciousness, and by that reaching the higher, or you could call them the lower or the, the omni, you know, the 360 degree part of your consciousness that just entails everything, which is eye opening and heart opening and a beautiful place to, to be. And it will turn you into what I would call a better person because you'll perform better, but you'll be more empathetic and, and you'll feel better in life and you're, you're, you'll understand more. Uh, flow states is like one of the most sure ways to get there, I would say. And there are many ways then to use flow states, like I already mentioned. All right, here's another one about the human body. And I think this is interesting and important too. The heart has about 40,000 neurons that play a central role in shaping emotion, perception, and decision-making. The stomach and intestines complete this network containing more than 500 million nerve cells, 100 million neurons, 30 different neurotransmitters, and 90% of the body's supply of serotonin, which is one of the major neurochemicals responsible for mood and well-being. This second brain, as scientists have dubbed it, lends some empirical support to the persistent notion of gut instinct. This is something that I really learned uh, through ayahuasca in Brazil, and just on a rational level, it I feel almost stupid not understanding it fully um, sooner. The fact that, you know, we see our mind as the highest of intelligence, right? We always speak about the human brain and how complex it is and we can't understand it, but, you know, there's a lot of smartness and intelligence coming out of it. But a lot of times we fail to see that the human brain is a small part of the entire human body, which, as we just pointed out here, has a lot of more intelligence. So it it has both the brain, but also then the heart and the stomach. So the gut feeling, the heart feeling and the brain insight is the combination that gives us our wisdom and and the instinct. And the instinct, obviously, then, will be a better guide for you than your rational brain, because your instinct also includes the heart and the stomach and all of the nerve cells, all of the neurons, all of the neurotransmitters and all of the serotonin stuff uh, that goes into that. So once again, being able to tune into our own instinct is also a skill that we will train in schools. We will work with way more in the workplace uh, moving ahead. It's 100%. It's, it's certain because that's where the key to the future lies, both for individuals to feel better in life and to find their path in life and follow, the, follow it more truly, but also for society as a whole. That's what makes humans 
unique compared to our current machines. Like when AI takes over a lot of the work we're doing today, a lot of the rational thinking, a lot of the mathematical computing, the human instinct is what will set us apart from those machines. And it's in that collaboration between man and machine, between the, you know, hyper intelligent, rational mind of a machine and the hyper intelligent instinct mind of a human being. That's where we find the future, the future of innovation and basically the future of humanity and life as we as we know it. Okay, here's another one. If I can change the quote unquote wallpaper of my mind by deliberately shifting my neurophysiology, my breathing, my posture, my brain waves, or any number of other interventions, what good are all those stories I've been telling myself? If I am not my thoughts, then who am I really? And this obviously ties into the fact that thoughts are made up. They're not real. Like most of my thoughts take on the form of words. And words is something that we've made up to try to describe the reality that we're experiencing. So the words can never be the reality. It's always a mirror, kind of blurry mirror that does not describe reality. So words are never real. They're never true. And if I think by using words, then my thoughts are not real either. So thoughts are a made up thing, which means we should not let our thoughts have so much power over ourselves. And as the book points out here, if we can change the way we think quite easily by doing these things, working with our breath, with our body, by, you know, with movement, uh, with uh, pharmaceuticals, with virtual reality, we have all of these tools available to us with mindfulness that will change instantly the way we feel and the way we think. Then why do we feel enslaved by our own thoughts? So being able to just tap out of that stream of thoughts, which is not true, it's just made up, is another skill that we need. And uh, that we will be training even more in schools and and workplaces from now on, most definitely. All right, I'm just going to jump here so this episode doesn't just become a long line of, of quotes from this book. As you can tell, I recommend you to read it. I think these quotes have shown that it's worth a read. So I'm getting stuck on a quote here. I'm going to go into that as well. This is about intoxication of humans and other animals. Uh, So it says here, researchers have been pondering this for a while now and have concluded that intoxication, you know, in ingesting any type of drug does play a powerful evolutionary role in the patterning. So in nature, animals often get stuck in ruts, repeating the same actions over and over with diminishing returns. I think if you look at your own life, I can surely do it. I'll see that I'm repeating patterns that are not good for me. But interrupting this behavior is not easy. Principle of conservation tends to rigidly preserve established schemes and patterns. So that's why, you know, We repeat the same old patterns over and over, even if they're not good for us. It is my impression that drug-seeking and drug-taking behavior on the part of both humans and animals enjoys an intimate connection with de-patterning. So this is one of the ways where we can break, you know, the the patterns in our minds. I heard the analogy recently, which I think is good. If you imagine a snow covered hill, uh, I, as a skier, love having that visual um, hill in front of me. So it's a hill covered in untouched snow. And then if I ski down it once and then twice, and then a few more times, what will happen is there will be lines in that snow. There will be patterns where I've skied. And the more times I do it, the the more those patterns will be clear. And the easier it is for me to, to fall into the same pattern that I've already skied once. So what in this case, 
um, they're referring to intoxication, can do, not all sorts of intoxication, but entheogens, for instance, what they can have uh, as an impact on your brain is that it covers the hill in snow once again. So you can ski down uh, that hill once again, making entirely new patterns. So that's why you can, you know, de-pattern or I wouldn't say reprogram, but instead open up your mind to form new patterns. Uh, that's what awe does. So entheogens is just one way there. Uh, the way Burning Man and, and similar experiences are designed is designed to do exactly that. They create awe, which opens up the possibility for us to de-pattern our thoughts and allow our brains to make new connections, allow thoughts to be put together in new ways. And voila, there's transformation. We find new patterns, new ideas, and feel as if everything's changed. What the actually only thing that happened is that we deep pattern our brain a bit. And flow states, once again, it's one way to get there. So it's good for feeling good, for understanding more about yourself, about life, for working together, to coming up with innovations, to tapping into your own creativity. Flow states is one of the best ways to get there. All right. And uh, yeah, here's the same thing. The ego is really just a network and things like psychedelics, flow and meditation compromise those connections. They literally disintegrate the network. It's the same thing idea. Uh, same idea all over. We have this network that has been just, you know, set in stone in our brains and we can disintegrate the network. That's why psilocybin treatment of terminally ill can cancer patients will sort of ease the burden of that illness and in many cases take away their fear of death because we disintegrate all of the things that we've learned and we open up our minds to new possibilities and new ways of thinking. A 2012 study found that encounters with perceptual vastness, be it the endless spiral of galaxies in the night sky, or Jones' larger-than-life projections, which is Android Jones, um, the artist uh, being referred to here, uh, a guy you should check out. Um, he does magic artwork based on this. Um, yeah, or Jones' larger-than-life projections triggers a self-negating, time-dilating sense of awe. And this happens automatically, which means an encounter with Andrew Jones' projections could be enough to drive subjects into a deeply altered state, willingly or not. So this is interesting. So encounters of perceptual vastness. That's the uh, astronaut overview effect. Astronauts going into space seeing the vastness and the tiny earth in it tends to trigger transformation and a better understanding of the purpose of life and the fact that competing for resources does not make any sense. Uh, Andrew Jones, larger than life projections is something you can experience at Burning Man together with these massive art pieces. Uh, so these are some of the examples that can trigger a self-negating, time-dilating sense of awe. Once again, it's awe. That's sort of the key here to flow states and, and creating these new patterns in the mind. And it means that this can put your brain into a deeply altered state, willingly or not. And that's where transformation happens. So that's what happened to me 2014 at my first Burning Man. I made completely new connections in my brain because I experienced awe for a full week in the desert. And I keep going into these flow states over and over. And a lot of my friends do too. And actually a lot of people all over the world are doing this too. Hence, once again, the transformation economy. The transformation economy could be, to some extent, described as the flow state economy, where we as individuals try to tap into flow state to find a deeper purpose, a better understanding of things, but that also holds the key to a better future for humanity and the planet uh, as a whole. So 
It's usually the case that when the challenges arise, so does the solutions. So for the first time in history, we have truly global challenges that none of us can escape from climate, perhaps being the clearest one right now. And at the same time, the solutions will present, present themselves. We have this network connecting most of humankind called the Internet. And we have the growth of the transformational flow state economy where we get better and more interested and curious about tapping into the potential of the human mind, making new connections, transforming ourselves and in that transforming our behavior and transforming the planet. So it's the only way we can solve this thing is for humanity to wake up. Okay, I think that's it for now. And uh, that was a short look into the book Stealing Fire. There are tons of other quotes from this book, but I'm not going to go into them now. I think this is summarized what the book is about. Stephen Kotler and the other guy, I can't remember his name, who wrote this, are extremely legit in this field. They're building this flow state lab. This book, when it came out, sort of blew up in at least Silicon Valley. I know a lot of people have been referring to this book for many years now, but it's, it's worth a read because it gives you a deeper understanding into your, how your brain works, but also how you can work with your brain to improve your life, your well-being, your relationships, your, your work, uh, your creativity, your innovation. Now, you can actually perform better in whatever you want to perform better in by tapping into flow states. But I would say the key here is actually you're going to live or have the potential to live a richer, more fulfilling life by learning how to tap into flow state for your own mind. All right, that's it. Last quote, which I actually think is the last quote I put in uh, this book. I just reached down. So we'll end with that. Last quote of the book, uh, Stealing Fire, that I highlighted was surprisingly or not surprisingly enough at burning man we found a way to break out of the box that confines us what we do literally is take people's reality and break it apart burning man is a transformation engine it has hardware and it has software you can adjust it and you can tweak it i know i always sort of end up coming back to burning man as so <laughs> sound me sound as the one fix the one solution for everything which it obviously is not it's not for everyone but it's a clear example of how we can design an experience that will transform the human brain by putting it into flow states using the combination of challenge and an extreme place which is both beautiful but also a place your brain is not used to find itself in which is this vast very hot very dead kind of desert surrounded by massive art pieces like larger than life art pieces that you've never seen before so that's another thing for your brain to just get confused by meeting people that behave in a, the deepest human way a person can behave they'll greet you with a hug they'll give you things for free they'll be playful wearing crazy costumes once again something your brain is not used to seeing so that's another trigger for awe another trigger for flow state and then there's tons of opportunities to tap into other altered states of mind using mindfulness or entheogens or body work or breath work and all of these experiences that you can have at Burning Man or any burn if you so wish. So taken together, it's a transformation engine, um, but one of many. And what I think will happen and what I want to work on is to create more of these transformation engines in society. I think that's what needed. I think actually two things that could be combined to really improve society is the insight into how you design these transformative experiences. 
such as Burning Man, but also the insight that we need more of the paths of no, the rites of passage, that's what it's called, that we have in society. You know, when you reach a certain age, you're supposed to become an adult and you go through this challenge. It could be, as in Sweden, military service, but it could also be just like working together for a common challenge as a soccer team, as kids. Basically, you put people together from different backgrounds and you give them a common challenge to solve together, something that's actually not easy, something that's hard, something that will challenge you. And, and in doing that, you not only transform the individuals, but you also connect them to each other. And that's how we can overcome differences and, and just tap into the core humanity that we all share. So putting more of those experiences into society, bringing people together from different backgrounds, giving them a common challenge to work towards together and make sure it's challenging and then design the entire experience around transformation, basically creating awe in the brains of these individuals. There you'll have one of the solutions to a, a brighter future. All right, that's it for now, guys. Thank you for once again listening to my uh, monologues and my ranting about stuff. Uh, I'm really grateful that, that you decided to listen to me. You could have spent your time doing anything and I know, and especially in Sweden, it, it feels kind of weird to just like put your own voice out there and hope people will listen sort of in a way thinking I would be better than anyone else, which obviously I'm not because we're all sort of one, uh, but I'm sharing my truth and the things I find. And I would love to hear your truth and the things you find. Perhaps there's something you didn't agree with here. Perhaps there's something that you come up with or you want to talk about. Feel free to invite yourself to this podcast and we'll have a conversation and see where it leads. All right, that's it for now. I promise you there'll be more interviews coming up over the next couple of weeks. I just need to stop procrastinating and, and, and book them. But I have a few of them coming. All right, that's it for now. Thank you guys. Have a lovely week. Perhaps try thinking about flow states and try to get into flow state at least once this week. See what it's like. All right, that's it. Over 